0: It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time, because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What is going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you for subscribing. If you haven't subscribed, very easy. Just click subscribe at thepetecalendarshow dot com or on any of your favorite podcasting platforms. If you go to thepetecalendarshow dot com, there's a link there as well that you can become a patron of the program. Uh, folks who have already done that, they have lit your way. Marlene, Jenny, and Sean, Rhonda, Susan, Mike, Linda, Grace. Lizbeth, J.F., Leslie, Jim, Lisa, and W.C., they all became patrons. They get exclusive content, they got the bumper stickers, uh, and they get to uh, brag to all of their friends that they help keep this show going. So uh, if you would like that, go to thepetecalendarshow.com. All right, we have new revenue forecasts for the state of North Carolina's budget. And No, I know. I'm going to make this interesting i promise um and then we're gonna move on <laughs> but i will make it interesting while we're covering it which is this it really does highlight the fundamental philosophical difference between uh, or or says between the right and the left when it comes to economics and finance the role of government you know investments a lot of talk of investments okay um Remember, it's it's spending. The, the left tries to make these arguments that these are all investments, that any government spending is an investment. And that's not necessarily the case. I would reject it as a term, but I understand why people use it. But they use it. A lot of people on the left use it for everything, and I don't think that's appropriate. So what happened? Well, you've got uh, two different entities. You've got the General Assembly in North Carolina. They've got what's called the Fiscal Research Division. OK, so they have their... Uh, These are uh, nonpartisan staffers. They crunch numbers. They do reports and that sort of thing. You also have over on the executive branch side, the governor's folks, the uh, Office of Management and Budget, and they all get together and they do these forecasts of how much revenue they expect to have and uh, in the next year. And this is important when you're doing budgeting, right? Makes sense. You need to know how much money is forecast to come in because the North Carolina uh, law is for the legislature to do two-year budgets. They call it a biennium. Okay, so uh, they get these forecasts, they tweak them, and they give updates and stuff. And then by the time they adopt the budget, they've got a pretty solid understanding of uh, what the revenue picture is going to look like. And then in a year from now, they come back and they just make, this is the short session. This is really the difference. They, you know, So there are two-year cycles. They are elected every two years. You have a long session. We're in it right now. And then they do a short session the following year, and they'll come back and make some minor changes to the budget, depending on what the revenue and expense side looks like. That's sort of the general framework of how things operate, okay? And I know that's not all-encompassing, but uh, I'm just trying to give you the bare bones. All right, so... Office of State Budget and Management, from the governor's executive branch side, General Assembly's Fiscal Research Division, they put out an updated consensus revenue forecast. So they all agree that they anticipate there being an additional $6.5 billion in state revenue through the next biennium. So what do you do with that money? What do you do with it? Now, if you're a Republican, you say, give it back to the people from whence it came because you took too much. If you are a Democrat, you're like, spend it all (laughs) Uh, or as much of it as possible. This is uh, I've referred to it as the see a penny, spend a penny philosophy. Any revenue that comes in needs to be allocated. That's what they look at. They're like, we made a budget based on the revenue. Republicans say we made a budget based on what we expect our expenses to be. See, so it's a, just a fundamental difference. So the Republicans say, we we look at all of these bills, we see all of these expenses, we have to have enough to cover that. And if we want to add more, we're going to have to find more money to cover it. Democrats say, well, we have all this income right here, look at all the money coming in, so let's spend it. And it's... Again, just a different philosophical approach. So the revised forecast of $60.4 billion over the upcoming biennium provides a clear look at actual funding availability as legislative leaders and the governor negotiate budget investments for the next two years. This is, by the way, the governor's press release. This forecast does not include funds from the federal American Rescue Plan, by the way, nor should it. Nor should it. Those are one-time dollars. So uh, kudos to the governor's office and Roy Cooper, who has apparently, eventually, it took a while, about 30 years in state government, but uh, he has eventually apparently learned that you don't take one-time revenue and use it for ongoing operation ex- uh, operational expenses, right? It'd be like taking your bonus, that you get a like a Christmas bonus, one-time bonus, and you take that money and you say, hey, uh, I'm going to pay for... Um, you know this brand new. Well, uh, depending on the size of the bonus. Uh, how about this? A car. I'm going to go and I'm going to take this. It's a it's a $500 bonus, and I'm going to go buy a new car, and I'm going to uh, I'm going to lease it. Well, it's not a lease then, I guess. So you're going to buy it, and you're going to make payments on it, and uh, my $500 will go towards that. Yeah, but that was a one-time check. You have ongoing uh, payments to make, right, to the to the lender. See, so And Roy Cooper has governed this way for a long time. Democrats have governed this way for a long time. It's why they ended up blowing a massive multi-billion dollar hole in the budget a a decade ago when the Great Recession hit. They were coming up short. And by the way, they came up short before that, too. Democrats always want to... When you get into the arguments about how Republicans came to power in North Carolina, it was in 2010, the Tea Party Revolution and all that, but also... There were another a number of other dynamics at play. You had uh, scandal upon scandal upon scandal. You had Democrats going to prison, federal prison in some cases. Right. Um, And uh, you had the and I'm talking like the governor, speaker of the House, the agriculture commissioner. So there was a lot of scandal going on. Democratic Party was in disarray. This actually gave rise to the Moral Monday movement. It empowered the Moral Monday movement because the state Democratic Party, the brand had been so sullied, so besmirched, if you will. I heard that word yesterday, so I figured I'd trot it out. Not not in this context. I just I heard it in a different context. And I was like, oh, besmirched. I'm going to try to bring that back a little bit. Um you know, like like Summer and Mandy Cohen's cash giveaway. To bring it back. <clears throat> anyway, uh, so the Democratic Party was in was in disarray. It was in shambles. And um, Republicans were ascendant. Also, though, you had the Great Recession, which uh, uh, left, you know, billion dollar holes in the budget. But prior to that, you did have this constant Budget deficits, structural deficits. I used to, when I, at the time I was a reporter, and I would do interviews with the Democratic majority, and they would members of that majority, and uh, they would talk, they would talk about the structural deficit. It's like built into the budget. They were like, we need to reform the tax code. It's an antiquated tax code. It's based on when uh, you know our system was relying on, or our state was relying on, uh, you know, manufacturing like uh, textiles and furniture. And we're not anymore, and we're shifting. It's a new economy, and so they—they—they they, they knew there were problems. They just—they couldn't—they couldn't do anything about it, or refuse to do anything about it. There was a lot of entrenched power. Okay, so they were running these deficits all the time. They were coming up short all the time, and uh, that's how why Medicaid was so underfunded under their watch. They—they uh, they just blew massive holes in those budgets. Um, they would pass taxes. They passed. Uh, sales taxes and then called them, you know, temporary taxes. And they, they said they would they would sunset them and then they never sunset them. They kept adding them year after year. They kept uh, kept them in place. So the temporary taxes become permanent. And that was actually one of the things that the Republicans did when they took over. They said that temporary sales tax increase, it's gone. That is sunsetted. Right. And so they they went about reforming the tax code and Democrats scream bloody murder. They, they said, they promised and predicted that it would destroy the state. People at the NC Budget and Tax Center, which is part of the left-wing, you know, NC Policy Watch umbrella of lefty organizations, you know, they were all predicting calamity and disaster. It's going to ruin the state economically forever and ever. And it didn't come to pass, by the way. In fact, we now have a $6 billion revenue surplus, not expected. Not expected. So I would submit this is proof that the Republicans policies have worked because I've been covering North Carolina politics for over two decades now. And there's only one decade where the revenues have come in over projections like this. And we've been running surpluses. And that's the decade the Republicans have been in charge. It wasn't the decade when Democrats were in charge. Okay, that's just my personal observation. Another personal observation is that general equipment rental is a really cool place with lots of tools that are going to help you get the job done correctly the first time, save yourself a whole bunch of hassle. Head on over to general equipment rental. And uh, if you're looking for like a major piece of equipment, like an earth mover type size piece of equipment, they've got that for rent. And they'll show you how to use it, too, uh, if you don't know how to use it. And look, if you don't want to admit that you don't know how to use it, just be like, you know, oh, so is this the same model? I, I, it's been a while since I used one of these. Um, you know, they'll, they'll walk you through all of this stuff and you can just pretend like you know what, you know, what the deal was beforehand. But meanwhile, they'll, t- they'll tell you. And uh, they also sell stuff, too. They've got tons of outdoor power equipment from Husqvarna and Honda, which are you know top quality product lines: um, chainsaws, trimmers, hedge clippers. Uh, mowers, commercial and residential use, gas and battery power. Head on over to General Equipment Rental. Uh, they're in Weaverville at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road. Family-owned and operated for three generations, and um, I'm I'm honored to be able to be an ambassador for their business to you. So support the businesses that support the show. Generalrents.com is the website. Generalrents.com. General Equipment Rental. Think outside your toolbox. So from the governor's press re- uh, press release. These numbers show unprecedented resources are now available he says to make transformational investments for our state. Okay? So see he's he sees the revenue surplus and he says, "Well, this is going to be ongoing." Oh, well this means that we're taking in all this extra money every single year and so let's spend it. And Republicans look at it like, "Well, no we took in we're expecting to take in 6 billion this next year. That doesn't guarantee that we're going to have those types of revenues year to year to year, does it? Not necessarily. Even though, Governor Cooper says in his press release, even though the Republican Senate bill would give big tax breaks to corporations and the wealthy... He says it's bad policy, but we have enough money to pass my entire budget, plus all those tax breaks with more money still remaining. We must now negotiate a responsible bipartisan budget that addresses everyone's concerns. Um, governor Cooper has refused to sign a single budget since he's been governor. <laughs> right? Uh, he has vetoed them. He has vetoed pay raises for teachers. Um, and so I don't know, like. Does this mean he's going to be more amenable? That he is going to sign on to a budget? I I don't know. He goes on to say um, that uh, the revised forecast, this this six billion dollar forecast, he attributes it to the economic boost provided by the American Rescue Plan and increased individual and corporate tax collections. Okay, I highlight that sentence because I think it's indicative of uh, again. A difference of outlook here. He cites what federal revenue, one-time revenue. He cites that as the reason why we have the surplus. Number one is the federal relief money, which again is one-time money. That's number one. That's top billing. You notice though what uh, the Republicans uh, what they point out is that it is the exact opposite. They say it's from increased revenue collected from the tax rate. Oh, and also the uh, the one time relief money, the the American Rescue Plan, or as I like to call it, the ARP, the ARP. Legislative Republicans, he Cooper says, have yet to produce a budget proposal despite the end of the fiscal year being just two weeks away. Instead, squabbling to reach an agreement among Republicans. Isn't that interesting that they're squabbling? I don't know. I follow this stuff pretty closely. I don't see any squabbling. These are negotiations. I mean, unless you're going to call all negotiations squabbling, but he doesn't call it that when he's negotiating with the Republicans. Right. No, it's just they call it squabbling because it's it's them. It's the opponent's. They're squabbling to reach an agreement among Republicans to propose providing more tax breaks for wealthy individuals and corporations and imposing a spending. If you took this line away, this this stupid talking point from the Democrats, I'm not sure they could actually articulate any kind of an argument on tax policy. I'm, I'm seriously considering this as a truism, because every single time they talk about any kind of fiscal policy, they always say tax breaks for wealthy And uh, tax breaks for corporations. Everybody gets the tax break, guy. Everybody. It's not just wealthy people. That was part of the Republican tax reform plans. They have increased what's called the standard deduction. So people who make less amount of money, they actually don't pay anything. They pay zero. I'm not sure how much lower you can cut a tax rate beyond zero percent. Like... The only people left to cut taxes for are the people that are still paying the taxes. So, uh, like, and by the way, that's the first point. The second point here is um, a point that Dallas Woodhouse, the former Republican Party uh, executive director in the state, but uh, now also he now works at Carolina Journal. And he was a journalist before uh, he got into the, uh, the political game. But he, uh, he wrote a piece about this, and he included, which I think everyone, journalists should include this piece of information, which is that not only has Cooper vetoed every budget presented by the legislature during his tenure as governor, uh, but he also recently announced hundreds of millions of dollars in tax reduction incentives for large corporations like Apple. Right? This governor, on the one hand, runs around and demands credit, claims credit, Soaks up the applause and praise for wooing businesses to the state by giving them what? Massive tax breaks. And then, on the other hand, he says, don't you dare give tax breaks to corporations. And corporations can be any size, by the way. Any size, right? By the way, the people that benefit from the the job expansion... In North Carolina, particularly with Apple, do you remember, like, the average salary for those people that are going to be coming here? Like 180 k or something like that? Those are wealthy individuals, folks. The very people that Governor Cooper is, uh, is demagoguing here, corporations and the wealthy, are the very people that benefit from his targeted tax incentives. He gives them all these tax breaks to come to the state and set up their businesses. And then he turns around and rips the very people that he bestows his grace upon. It's so disingenuous. Um, This is now a piece. uh, This is the News and Observer by Don Vaughn. Cooper also wants to add a billion dollars to the state's rainy day fund, which, again, credit where it is due. Governor Cooper appears to have learned that you should not be raiding the rainy day fund because you need it for emergencies. This was actually what he wanted to do when he ran for governor in 2016. He yeah, he wanted to uh to use the rainy day fund to pay for his ongoing initiatives. The rainy day fund is there. It's just a, you know, it's, it's an account and it was funded by the Republicans because they had a whole bunch of uh, crises to manage when they first came in. And the Rainy Day Fund was like nothing. And a state law actually requires local governments to have these types of reserves. And so they said, you know, we're going to beef up our Rainy Day Fund because you never know. And sure enough, then we got hit with like, you know, multiple hurricanes and all of this. So And, and you know, thank God that Cooper wasn't able to raid the Rainy Day Fund because we needed it. So um, but he apparently has learned. Good for him. The news comes as the state senate is expected to roll out its budget bill within a week. And the Senate and House previously agreed on a total spending amount. After months of drawn-out negotiations and a potential stalemate, the chambers finally agreed to spend 25.72 billion dollars for the next year and then 26.7 the following year, an increase of 1 billion dollars. So 25.7 this year, 26.7 next year. The Senate also already passed its tax plan, which it signed, uh, which if it were to be signed into law by the governor, which, yeah, I'm not not really (laughs) really thinking that's going to happen, would cut income taxes for individuals and corporations. House Speaker Tim Moore, a King's Mountain Republican, said in a release that the economic outlook, quote, is proof that Republican policies work. All right, so that's the News and Observer. Back to Dallas Woodhouse's piece at Carolina Journal. Um, He says, North Carolina, here's the opening statement. North Carolina has over collected more than $6 billion in state taxes when compared to May of 2020's economic forecasts. That's that's a different philosophical output. Do you think you would ever hear that line in uh, in a News and Observer, Charlotte Observer, WRAL, CBS 17? um, I'm trying to think of all of the, the big ones that always get in. Um, to the press conferences with the governor, you know, under the dome people. Like, do you think that the political press corps that cover these stories, do you think they would ever frame this budget surplus like that, that the state over-collected from taxpayers? Of course not. They would never say that. They would never say that. Um, Here's something I will say all the time. A roof protects the biggest investment most people ever make. It's true. Okay, now, the thing is, a lot of people its like you will go out and drop thousands of dollars on countertops and, uh, uh, you know, new cabinetry and all this custom work. And like and you get to touch it and you get to see it. It's like, oh, this is fantastic. Yeah. And you know what's protecting all of that fancy stuff that you just bought is the roof. And if your roof is in bad shape, then all that fancy stuff is going to be in bad shape too when the roof fails. So call my friends at Balkan Roofing, okay? B-A-L-K-E-N, family owned and operated, Balkan Roofing, BalkanRoofing.com. The phone number is 628-0390, 628-0390, all right? And they know, we know, we all know price of materials is going up. It's been skyrocketing. We've been building our house, and I was talking to the project manager about this, and he's like, Man, he's like, I have, we have never seen anything like what's happening in the markets right now. Constant price increases. Well, what that means for you is that you want to do it now. Okay. Balkan, and we talked, I talked with them about this. They've been trying to absorb all these costs. They have. Over the last year, like they've kept their people working, uh, and they've been trying to absorb all, as much of these costs in, uh, that are increasing as possible. But you want to do this now. Take advantage of the prices where they are now because it is expected that these prices are going up uh, in coming months. So right now, you can get a new roof for as low as $69 a month, okay? They've got financing there to help you protect your biggest investment. Protect what matters most, okay? Your house, everything, and everybody in it with a roof. Balkan Roofing, give them a call. They'll do a free estimate, right? And if you don't need any work done, they'll tell you that balkanroofing.com, 628-0390, balkanroofing.com. So back to Dallas Woodhouse's piece at the Carolina Journal, headlined State Tax Collection Spike, Opening Door for Historic Tax Relief. (laughs) So note the difference in the framing. Um, Individual income tax payments are up 12.5%. The state portion of the sales tax is up 14.5%. And the corporate and franchise tax payments are up more than 35%. Uh, by the way, this is this is why uh, libertarian leaning, conservative, uh, Republican economic people, they all say, you know, if you lower the taxes, you get more economic activity and it increases revenue to the treasury because you have more people that are investing capital, making returns. It's the economic activity and, and it's again fundamental philosophical difference the pie grows right the pie grows it's the the size of the pie is not static a bigger piece for me doesn't necessarily mean a smaller piece for you it could mean a bigger pie okay um and i know that's an oversimplification but um and i loathe when people do it (laughs) when talking about economics but here we are i am what i loathed um The North Carolina Republican leadership reaction. I gave you the quote from Tim Moore earlier, uh, and this is the full quote. There's no question, he says, that the strength of the economic outlook is proof that our policies work. It's no coincidence that our state is the number two destination for Americans fleeing other states with bleak economic outlooks. North Carolina's overall fiscal policy has set the stage for a commitment to conservative tax policies, and we will continue to work collaboratively with the governor and the Senate to keep our state on an upward trajectory of economic growth. Um, The Senate President Pro Tem, Phil Berger, he also put out a statement much shorter saying, quote, A huge surplus does not mean we're spending too little. It means we're taxing too much. End quote. (laughs) That was the whole statement from Berger. Um, Elsewhere in the article, while Governor Roy Cooper and legislative Democrats argue the surplus revenue should be used to meet Cooper's demand for more spending, Republicans will likely focus their efforts on already promised tax relief and reform. As the Carolina Journal has reported, the Senate passed a tax plan. It had 8 Democrat votes with it, uh which is veto proof. Um and it raises the standard deduction from $21,500 up to $25,500 for joint filers, which would take about a quarter of a million of the lowest income North Carolinians entirely off the tax rolls, a quarter off the tax rolls. They they, they don't pay any state tax. It also reduces North Carolina's flat income tax rate for the remaining taxpayers from five and a quarter and takes it down to 4.99. And if you want more of these details, I went over them in in greater uh, depth a couple of weeks ago when the bill passed. Uh, so there's a podcast uh, for that as well. Additionally, the tax package raises the per-child tax deduction by $500. Bill sponsors say that a family with two kids that earn $38,000 a year will get a 50% tax cut under their bill. A family that makes $200,000 will get a 7% cut for North Carolina households earning the median income of 54 dollars that's the median, um, not the average, but the median, fifty-four thousand. They will see a twenty-one percent decrease in their state taxes under that plan by raising the minimum deduction. The poorest taxpayers move into the zero tax bracket. House Republican leaders say they have broadly uh, they broadly support the Senate tax plan, but have not signed on to all of the details. That's over in the House. Okay, so the House still has to take that up. So that's the that, that's the state of play there on the tax front and the spending front. And the budget cycle will now ramp up at the state level. Um, over the next two weeks or so. And we'll keep you apprised of all of that. Now, I mentioned earlier that um, I am uh, buying a house. Kristen and I are buying out. Well, they're building it, actually. The builders are building it. It's part of a neighborhood. They call it Build to Suit. You know, we get to make some picks and stuff, but we're very excited. We're looking to move in soon. Um, and um, we used Rowena Patton as our realtor. She's the only one we called. She's the only one that I've ever recommended anybody call. I've only ever endorsed Rowena Patton almost a decade now so put her and her all-star powerhouse team to work for you she outsells 99 percent of the realtors in the entire state and uh, she has homes and all price points and she has buyers already lined up so give her a call 828-333-4483 her website is mountainhomehunt.com that's 828-333-4483 give her a call and then start packing Uh, Next up, Buncombe County passes a property tax increase. And (laughs) this is, uh, I have rarely seen, this is why I'm highlighting this story here for folks who aren't in Buncombe County. I'm just highlighting this because um, I have noticed a trend. And you heard me mention just a minute ago about median, right, the median household income. The median is an important data point when you're talking about this stuff because um, median is if you take, you know, every single, like on household income, you take every household, you lay them end to end in a row, right? And you put at the one end all the, uh, the lowest income earners, and then at the other end, the highest income earners. And then you, and, and so you, they're all laid out from lowest to highest. And then you go towards the, you go to the very center of that, and that's the median. It's the point in the middle. So this, because the average can get skewed if you've got, you know, one trillionaire or whatever living in the state, that person's income can swing all of the averages upwards. So median gives you an understanding that there are as many people higher as there are as many people lower, right? You are in the middle. That's the median. So this is important when it comes to property tax, uh, discussions when these local governments are now looking to they're all passing their budgets right now and so they're looking to adopt the property tax rates and usually how you determine that if you're a reporter is you take the median household value what the the median or house the home value not household but home value so in and this is not the sales price for example like buncombe county the median home sale price so as many homes are sold for more money as there are sold for less money than $394,000. Okay? That's the median uh, median home sale price. But that's not its appraised value. Okay? The tax assessor comes in, they do the appraisals. The census, according to the census, the median value is 238. $238,000. That's the median assessed value, median uh, home value in Buncombe County. But that's from 2019. I don't know what the most up-to-date figure is. And I went through the county's budget proposal, the manager's recommendation, all the documents, all that. They never mentioned the median home price, home value. They never mentioned that. And this seems to be a dereliction. It also seems to me to be a dereliction for uh, by the reporter, Joel Burgess, the Democrat with the byline that writes for the Citizen Times covering local government. Um, He doesn't include that anywhere in his piece either, but that's what people need to know to figure out how it's going to impact them, unless they happen to know what their home is valued at and they can do the precise calculation. So it's completely missing from this story. But I will tell you, because he doesn't in the story, and the county doesn't tell you, that uh, they're raising your taxes in Buncombe County, two cents on the rate, okay, and as he says it'll be an extra $196 uh, on a median-priced home, a valued home. 100, so almost $200 a year extra on the median home. And that's the way it's framed because $200 a year, well, that doesn't seem so bad, right? That's like, I don't know, $8 a month. Oh, that's not so terrible. It's only $200. Yeah, it's not just $200, though. It's $200 on top of the existing rate that you're paying. And it's $200 plus that rate, plus also the rate for whatever city or town you're living in, or fire district or school district. Because in Buncombe County, you got all these other districts, and so there are a ton of other rates that are getting applied to you as well. And people don't pay just the Buncombe County tax bill, and they don't just pay the increase. They pay all of it. They pay all of it. But he doesn't tell you what the total nut is going to be for you. If you have a median Priced home, say two thirty-eight. Value two hundred thirty-eight thousand um, dollars. You're looking at about twelve hundred dollars or hundred dollars a month total. That's what it, th- that's the price of living in Buncombe County. About a hundred dollars a month, just in taxes. That does not include any of the taxes for the city. City of Asheville, by the way, is looking to raise their taxes too, or any of the fire districts or school districts or anything else. Okay, So that's what, that's what this looks like for the property tax owner um, in Buncombe County. Now, maybe you're outside all the corporate limits and stuff, and so you don't pay any of the other uh, taxes. Kudos to you. Uh, but that's the that's the total nut. It's about twelve hundred dollars for you Now you can spend that kind of money at old Grouch's military surplus because he's got so many cool things there that um, Yeah, you're gonna have to practice some restraint He's got duffel bags and backpacks and thermal blocking camo netting really cool stuff Canteen cup stoves camp stoves rain ponchos MREs ammo cans gun accessories body armor when he can find it This stuff is in really high demand right now for some reason I know it's very difficult to figure out. Go to Old Grouch's Military Surplus. By the way, if you are out of town and you're heading to Asheville, maybe you're heading to Cherokee or going to Maggie Valley, Pigeon Forge or Gatlinburg, he is just off the interstate. Exit 27 off I-40. And so you can easily drop in and shop and uh, see some of the other stores in downtown Clyde. There's a new boutique gift and clothing store that just opened up right next door. So something for everybody to go visit. Uh, Head on over to Old Grouch's Military Surplus, your source for real U.S. military surplus, downtown Clyde on Main Street, across the street from the Anti-Aircraft Gun. Shop is open Monday through Saturday, 24-7, online at oldgrouch.com. So uh, two quick quotes here from the Buncombe County commissioners. Uh, One is from the chairman, Brownie Newman. Uh, He defended the tax increase and um, he said he believes the increase was necessary to fund services needed by residents, but he urged commissioners to try to hold the tax rate now at 48.8 cents on every hundred dollars of assessed value, try to hold the line on that for years to come. Not sure how long, but this is it. We shouldn't do this, you know, in in the following years, which he has absolutely no authority to bind any future (laughs) commissions to that. Like, this is the way you're like, oh, sorry, I'm raising your taxes, but we shouldn't do it anymore. This is the last time, I swear. Then there's District 3 Commissioner Robert Presley, the only Republican left on the county commission. He will probably be gone uh, after the next election cycle because of the uh, redistricting. Because, again, that's what fair maps look like for uh, Democrats is when no Republicans can serve in any uh, capacity whatsoever. Those are, quote, fair maps, not gerrymandered. Anyway, um, he said, quote, I hate tax increases as much as anyone else. But this is Buncombe County. Everybody's wanting to live here now. And whenever you do that, that just raises the cost of what it costs to live here. This is the growth doesn't pay for itself argument, which is an absurd argument, if growth doesn't pay for itself, then why would you want to grow? And I've asked that very question to elected officials, planners, tax people, uh, bureaucrats, you know, for 20 years, because I've been in, you know, the Charlotte area, North Carolina, and now Asheville, uh, and all of these have been, you know, growth areas for 20 years. And they always say growth doesn't pay for itself. And I would always ask them, why do you want to grow? And you know what they say? Well, I mean, you it's even worse if you're not growing. (laughs) Okay. So if you're not growing, then that costs you. And if you are growing, then that costs you. So it's almost like, right, there's no way to avoid the costs. I don't believe this, by the way. I don't believe that growth doesn't pay for itself. I don't. I don't believe that. I believe that growth does pay for itself. I believe growth actually is an economic revenue generator, a surplus generator. Didn't we just go over the revenue surpluses at the state level, right? The problem is, is the local governments spend it. So you got to, as you're growing, you've got to offer services and stuff right on the front end, because you've got new people that have arrived, but they should be paying for themselves. That stuff should pay for itself. And, the revenue that is generated with proper planning and restraint, you should be able to create funds that pay for the maintenance, the ongoing maintenance of the infrastructure that is required. The problem is, is that there's so much revenue that comes in, politicians spend it all. Their eyes get really big and they're like, and their stomachs get even bigger. And they're like, let's make a whole bunch of promises to people. And look, You know the citizens are just as uh, much responsible for this too I I remember the famous quote there was a woman in Austin, Texas she was on the news, they were talking about some big referendum that uh, had uh, passed or something and she said uh, you know, look, I can't afford to live in Austin anymore, uh, but I've you know, and and I've voted for all of these amenities, all these things, and I've, I've voted yes on every referendum and now I can't afford to live here anymore, it stinks like, yeah, well that's that's the problem is you guys are taking out all this debt you're floating all these bonds you're building and building and building and it's not sustainable see that's the key it's not sustainable so growth does pay for itself i don't believe the argument otherwise by the way what happened to the windfall from the sale of the hospital mission hospital where did that money go Because remember, there were all these projections about how much money was going to start flowing because Mission Hospital was a nonprofit. And then it got sold to the for-profit HCA, Tennessee-based, what, Hospital Corporation of America, whatever it's called. Um, And so they're the new owners. That's a private entity. And so now all of that property is taxable, or a lot of it is taxable. And so all of these local officials, they were licking their chops with all the extra money that was supposed to come in. What happened to that? Where did all that go? Did that not come in? Seriously, did that not come in? By the way, uh, the hospital... Yeah, I came across this story, too. This was at the Citizen Times newspaper. Derek Lacey put patients first. Mission nurses picket over contract union negotiations with HCA. So the hospital unionized a couple months back, and um, the nurses did. And now they're in their first negotiations with the... uh, with the ownership and they're already out picketing. <laughs> they're already out there. Hundreds of nurses and community members noisily took to the sidewalks in front of Mission Hospital. Uh, this would have been yesterday as Asheville nurses continue contract negotiations with hospital owner HCA healthcare chance of put patients first. I mean, except those who are like battling life-threatening you know, diseases and ailments and such that need their rest but can't rest because you're out on the sidewalk in front of their rooms blaring horns and such except for those patients probably yeah (laughs) like i have i got a message somebody in the in the building right they they could not sleep because uh they could not rest because of um because of the the noise that they were making out front putting patients first obviously Well, it's like putting the kids first, like the teachers do, when they're like, you know, put the kids first. And that's why the teachers go out on strike, they do sick outs, and they walk out of classes and stuff, because that's how you help a kid get educated, is you walk out on them. It's the same philosophy. Anyway, um, put patients first, they chanted... And near constant horns from supportive passersby echoed off the hospital walls and uh, and around the corner of Biltmore Avenue and Hospital Drive as members of the nurses union marched the sidewalks at issue are three main points of the contract safe staffing. So staffing levels, floating nurses, they call it safe floating. So this is a branding effort, obviously, for public consumption, but staffing levels uh, and the floating nurses that kind of move from department to department, they don't like that and compensation focused on retention and recruitment, which I'm not sure what else compensation would be focused on. Um, So they say on the staffing levels that the nurse to patient uh, ratios are, are unsafe. There are too many patients per nurse. Uh, They say nurses are floating, moving between departments to places they are not trained or equipped for. And because they're not compensated highly enough, they are leaving for other lines of work or going to other markets. Claire Siegel, registered nurse with Mission's Adult Medical Surgical Unit and member of the negotiating team for National Nurses United, said that in the two and a half years since HCA purchased the hospital, quote, we have seen quality of care drop immensely, and the pandemic has only made all of that worse. In the midst of a pandemic, she said, HCA still looks for ways to cut costs and maximize profit. Oh, hang on. Maximize profit. Unlike the union, which is demanding more money. See, when the union... (laughs) (laughs) Look, I'm not and I'm not saying that the, the nurses are overpaid or underpaid or anything. I don't know. Okay, like this is between them. They're having this argument, having these negotiations, whatever. But when you say that HCA is trying to maximize profits like you are, too. You as an individual, as an employee, you're trying to maximize your profits, right? But you're also, as a union, trying to maximize your profits as well, because the higher pay that people get from the employer, the more money the union collects as well, right? So better paid employees means more money for the union, so they're trying to maximize their profits too. So let's just be clear, like this argument that they're trying to maximize profits, I'm not... I yeah I'm not sympathetic to because everybody does in this system everybody is all right and again I'm not arguing that they're not uh, that they're not underpaid or they're overpaid whatever I'm not arguing that the top issue they say is short staffing calling it the new normal for nurses to be assigned one to three more patients than what is safe negotiators will meet again with the uh, uh, the employer in a couple days and uh, Siegel said that. Uh, the two parties have already agreed to, quote, groundbreaking language around health and safety, workplace violence prevention, diversity, equity and inclusion, no mandatory overtime, nurses having a voice in patient care and much, much more. Uh, so this was at the Citizen Times and I've got it linked at the uh, the patron page as well, the Patreon page as well for patrons to get the prep sheet. You can see it all there. Um, you can see all of the mattresses, too, by the way, at Mattress Man. Go to their website, mattressmanstores.com you'll see all of the mattresses that they have, their inventory, and um, you can walk into their store and you know this, you're going to get the mattress soon. Like a lot of these mattress companies, apparently they're all, their inventory systems are all jacked up and their distribution and supply lines are all messed up. And so people are ordering mattresses and not getting them delivered for like months. Like, It's kind of like furniture, you know, where people buy furniture and then you don't get it delivered for like seven months down the road or something. It's nuts. Not a Mattress Man. They've got their local inventory. Okay. So that's why we say buy local, sleep better. That Mattress Man, mattressmanstores.com. Also, you can walk in there knowing that you're already qualified for financing. Yeah. You go to their website, mattressmanstores.com, and there's a link at the top and you follow this link. Um, And Synchrony Finance offers zero down zero interest for up to 72 months for qualified applicants. They have other tons of actually flexible financing options, no matter your credit. There's a financing link. You click on that, run through it, and then you get pre-approved. And so you walk in and you don't even have to worry about it. You don't have to go through that all of that process at the store either. Five-star local delivery service, nationwide shipping, a 120-day comfort guarantee. Experience the difference at Mattress Man, locally owned and operated, four stores in Asheville, Hendersonville, and Arden, mattressmanstores.com, buy local and sleep better. All right, so uh, one last topic here to cover. Have you heard of this? Wall Street-backed landlords are buying up homes all over America. Have you heard about this? There was, the story was originally done in the Wall Street Journal. I think it was back in like April. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Here's the piece. Uh, This is from The Federalist. It is written by Joy Pullman, the executive editor of The Federalist. And um, she says the original article by The Wall Street Journal was from April, but it resurfaced uh, about a week ago after there was a discussion online and kind of got trending on Twitter again. So it just kind of got rehashed. And uh, the, the story is this, that big investors are now getting into real estate in a way that they never were before. And they're actually outbidding normal people, regular people to do so. Um, the story was titled in the Wall Street Journal, if you sell a house these days, the buyer might be a pension fund. And I've actually heard um, uh, somebody, I forget who it was that told me recently, they said that, they're, uh, that when they sold their house, they, made a, they told the realtor, they're like, we are not selling to investors. So anybody who comes in here that wants to buy this as an investment, uh, we are not selling it to them. And this would, this would include these types of uh, pension funds and big organizations. BlackRock was the one, I think, that was in the Wall Street Journal. Um, Yield-chasing investors are snapping up single-family homes, competing with ordinary Americans, and driving up prices. The resulting social media traffic made this article number one on the Wall Street Journal website uh, a couple days ago. Quote, you now have permanent capital competing with a young couple trying to buy a house, according to a real estate consultant named John Burns, who was quoted in the Wall Street Journal article. Quote, "Uh, that's going to make U.S. housing permanently more expensive his firm estimates that, quote, in many of the nation's top markets, roughly one in every five houses sold is bought by somebody who never moves in. That's pretty astounding. 20% of the housing stock is bought by someone who never moves in. Um, Like, I'm old enough to remember when this sort of idea was promoted as... You know, you know, and it is a way for people like we, we had uh, Mike Summy, He's a local guy and uh, he owns tons of houses. He wrote a series of books called the Weekend Millionaire uh, Series. And he also did the Financial Security Bible as well. And I've had him on the show many times. And uh, this was his model, right? He built this company and he's now like, you know, multimillionaire and all this. And uh, he built this company and then he, he teaches it to others, you go out and you find the properties. That's why it calls it the weekend millionaire. Because on the weekends, you drive around and you find houses, and that's where you make your money. By the way, is on the the when you buy the house, that's when you make the money. Because if you buy, if you spend too much on the house when you buy it, you'll never be able to generate income off of it. Uh, if you spend too much, anyway, it was a it's it's a program, and people can use it. But that program has now, and I remember like banks never wanted to be in the business of owning property, like mortgage companies were not interested in that. But now with the rise of you know property management companies and the like, you can go and buy these things and it generates revenue and you just take a certain chunk of money, put it into a, a maintenance fund you know, for capital replacement costs, you know, for new HVAC systems and roofs and all that stuff later on. And so you take a certain percentage out and you put it into these uh, accounts, these funds, and then you just collect the money. And they have a limitless supply of cash that they can beat you as a homeowner going in trying to buy your first home because that's where they're targeting. A lot of the market uh, is getting targeted at the, um, the entry level. So people who are trying to, Buy their first home, which actually creates the generational wealth. They're being outbid by these big investment firms or pension funds that have bottomless pockets. And what makes it even more egregious and defensive, I would submit, um, in the BlackRock situation is you know, you've know you got some of these companies like they've they've got direct access to all sorts of, you know, Federal Reserve levers, you know, mechanisms that they get to employ whenever they need to. They get to get bailed out, right? They get all of these uh, special privileges. They are privileged. and that's who now we have to compete with. I don't think that's I don't think that's a fair marketplace. I don't. I don't think that's a fair marketplace. So um I'm interested to see how this develops. There was also, A very big write-up about this at uh, the UNC Charlotte Urban Institute, uh, their website, uh, in a piece written by Eli Portillo and Justin Lane. And uh, by the way, Eli Portillo used to work for the Charlotte Observer. And um, they looked at the Charlotte market specifically. For decades, they said that the single market, family home rental market, was small scale, right, Um, made up almost entirely of local landlords. Who rented out a few houses that they had bought as investment properties, or maybe they inherited or held on to after they moved? But the years since the Great Recession have witnessed a dramatic shift: a Wall Street-backed, uh, as Wall Street-backed rental companies move in to snap up homes lost to foreclosure and replace mom-and-pop firms as America's landlords. New companies like Invitation Homes, American Homes for Rent, and TriCon American Homes purchased hundreds of thousands of houses, acquiring dispersed portfolios of properties and turning the suburbs into a lucrative revenue stream. Now, the other side of this argument, of course, is that the revenue stream helps to fund these pensions and the pensions are, you know, for people who have retired and like you're going to keep uh, your promise to these usually government workers, right? That that worked, you know, for like 25 years or whatever it is, or 20. I don't even know. It's like a It's not, it's not a lot. Okay. Like the private sector pensions (laughs) or don't get me started on the pensions. Anyway, um, you got a lot of these workers, they were made promises. They, you know, they got good benefits, low pay. They got a pension, you know, that they were expecting. And so, and by the way, uh, the, the, the pension costs for states, that are you know can bankrupt some of these states. North Carolina is in a pretty good position, but it's still it's like being the you know, it's like being the prettiest pig. It's still a pig. So North Carolina's got problems too. Dale Falwell has talked about this over the years. He's the state treasurer. He's talked with uh with us about this over the years, and uh, we're in we're in better shape than most other st- virtually all other states actually. But we still owe a bunch of money to these people for their pensions. So that is the other side of this. Like it's a revenue stream and it is giving people the ability to, you know, get into a single family home in a neighborhood that might be a good neighborhood for their kids to go to school, for example. All cash offers, though, come in from these companies, these big companies, in a few cases, building brand new subdivisions entirely made up of single family rental houses. So there you got some companies that are going in and just building entire subdivisions, Within Mecklenburg County, their holdings totaled just under 11,500 houses. So it's not it's not a huge impact right now in Mecklenburg County. The average appraised value of single-family rental houses owned by the companies is about $206,000. And that is uh, well below the average appraised value of all single-family homes in the county, which is about 325k, right. Um and uh, this indicates that single-family rental companies are likely putting the most pressure on the lower end of the market. Um, and that is consistent with the stated strategy of buying homes that appeal to middle-class professionals who, for whatever reason, are not interested or able uh, to uh, in, in buying. Okay? Like, they're just not interested. And look, that's there are a lot of young people that do not care to own a home. They don't want to do the yard work, right? They'll just rent. Although a lot of these rental places, you have to do your own yard work. So anyway, despite the numbers, the companies still hold a relatively small portion uh, of the single-family home market, only about 4% in Mecklenburg. Um, and so it's, that's not at the national average, but I expect to see this uh, pick up because what's stopping them from doing it? Right? The companies say that they pour money into houses that might not other that might otherwise have deteriorated as well, uh like American homes for rent, they say they spend like fifteen to thirty k on renovations per house, so like that's a good thing, right They also standardize and formalize the rental market with online portals for resident maintenance requests and other conveniences. Now, some of these renters are like, "Oh, they but they're a terrible management company. We hate them." So, pros and cons, just like everything else in economics. All right, that is a wrap for the episode. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. And remember, please subscribe to the podcast. Just go to the Pete click subscribe, and then you're subscribed. Or usually there's a subscribe button right there on your phone. Take a look. Is there one right there on the phone? Yeah, just click that and then you're subscribed. Hi. Talk with you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.